What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. A Playlist Original. Just watch me. The medium is the message. Proof is a proof. What kind of proof? It's a proof. It has no core identity. Smashed potatoes are no gravy. You know what I'm saying? Speaking uh, moistly on them. Hello and welcome to Just Watch Me. I'm Kate. And I'm Liv. And today on the podcast, we're talking about Canadian legend Alanis Morissette. I'm very excited. And I have to say, in researching this podcast and listening to her music, I really like her music. And I think I'm going to reintroduce it into um, my life. I started listening to her music again. Like, I had listened to it, but I wasn't, like, a huge fan. Anyway, I started listening to it again to research this podcast. And it's been joyful. Like, I've loved it so much. I think I'm going to put her in my regular rotation. Um, Did you listen to what I just said? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> what? Did I say kind of the same thing? You literally, in slightly different words, repeated back what I had just said. But I agree. <laughs> uh, that was funny. I know you hate when I do that. I, it was genuine, though. No, it was funny. It was. I'm just pointing out that it was hilarious. All right. Anyway, we both like her now. Um, do you have a relationship to her? Like, where, Did you listen to her when you were young or no? I did. I only listened... Well, I mean, in the good old 90s, you only listened to the CDs that you had in your house, right? And so I had... Well, I didn't have. My dad had Jacob Little Pill. So I did your listen dad? to it. Mm-hmm. That does not seem on brand. Yeah, no, my dad... My dad is a big um, Canadian rock fan, and he doesn't really discriminate. So he was into Alanis Morissette. And, um, and so we had Jacob Little Pill. So I listened to it a little bit I don't think I like loved I didn't like love the album in the same way that I loved other albums and to be quite honest like I don't think it was super appropriate for me (laughs) uh you know until I was a little older which is you know fair I would agree with that I would agree with that so I think my parents probably were like I put it on and they probably were just like okay let's move on to the Partridge family next sound of music feeling that (laughs) What about you? Um, we didn't have it, but I know that some of those songs, I'm not sure which ones, like similar to like Jen Arden showed up on the Women in Songs album. Oh, yeah. Oh, which yeah. My mother never listened to, but my father bought her every year. So I ended up listening to, I, I, we had Women in Songs 1 through 8, and her music was on there. And I think I knew probably Alanis's music just from being a Canadian and for any any non-Canadians like the Ken Con rules means that like you if you're like listening to anything or watching anything Canadian like you're gonna hear you're gonna hear a good dose of Michael Buble and 
<laughs> Alanis Morissette and Brian Adams. It just happens to you, you know? It's funny, though, because I was thinking about the CanCon rules, like, in respect to her and her progression of her career, because the CanCon rules kind of play a bigger part in, I think, her story than maybe in most. But now, I'm, now that I'm thinking about it, it really does seem to propel so many Canadian artists to success on the world stage. Like we have so many in every decade, we have so many famous Canadians who are like internationally huge, like especially in the nineties. I mean, we had Alanis Morissette who was huge. We had Shania Twain who was huge. We had Celine Dion, we had Ryan Adams. Like we had like Canadians taking over the world. And still today we have so many prominent Canadians. And I wonder if the CanCon rules seem to work a little bit more effectively for music than potentially for TV and film, because we don't see the same um, Canadian domination in TV and film that we do with music, like just, just generally from decade to decade. So I think it's interesting. And I think that that's good. And I would like to see some better CanCon rules for podcasts. Hello, if anyone's listening. I, I mean, it just sounds like you want to do an episode breaking down the CanCon rules and critiquing them and their merits. No, nobody wants, nobody wants to hear me talk about it. So I'm going to leave it at that. Um, I want to hear you talk about it. Yeah. I feel like I'm kind of a music expert now that I'm working in music law. So I really saw this whole episode through different lens than our uh, previous singers. All right, let's get going. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's so funny though. Cause it's like, I literally like know just like a teeny bit more than I did like then when we did our Avril Lavigne episode, and I'm just like, I feel like such an insider now, you know? I mean, you you are. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, Alanis Morissette was born in Ottawa uh, in 1974. Her parents, Georgia and Alan, are both teachers. Uh, she had two brothers, an older brother, and a very slightly older brother called Wade, who is her twin. I love that she's a twin. Yeah, I think that's pretty cool. What's interesting about her parents um, is that they worked at military schools. They weren't just regular teachers. And so she ended up traveling, it sounds like, quite a bit in her youth. And they lived in Europe for a time, which I don't know how she remembers, but she says she does, um, before settling back in Ottawa. So that's kind of interesting. And I was like, wow, me and Alanis really have so much in common. I was I had a point to, to point to you, Olivia, please discuss about moving around <laughs> as a child, but you you already did it. Yeah, she was in I guess lived in Germany between ages three and six. She learned to speak German at that time, um, but hasn't kept up with it, apparently. So she she says that her brothers told her that she couldn't sing. Um okay. she started writing songs very young and she had the idea that she had to find a singer for it. I think it's just so funny that someone who is famous for a vocalist was like, you know, if they had pushed a little harder, maybe they would have shaken her confidence a little more and we, we wouldn't have Alanis Morin. <laughs> okay. I think that's fascinating. Like so many of our other famous Canadians, she was a, truly a child star. <laughs> Everyone's a child star in Canada. At age nine, she gets cast in You Can't Do That on Television, which was a Canadian show on Nick at, is that on Nick at Night? Uh, she appeared in five episodes. She, I think, saw herself a bit more of, of an 
as more of an actor. Well, it's really cute because I think she knew that she wanted to do music still. And so she saved up her money from that she made on this TV show. She's like, you know, kids that are kids at that age don't really have a lot of expenses. Okay. (laughs) Yeah. No expenses. Um, and she, uh, recorded her first demo called fate stay with me. And she actually self-produced it, which is kind of interesting. I thought, cause you don't see that happening a lot. For sure. She gets signed very early. She gets signed at 14, um, with MCA records, which is a Canadian, a Canadian record company. She releases two albums with them, which are released exclusively in Canada and they're a little bit different, you know, than, uh, <laughs> you know, when you think of Alanis Morissette, you think of this deep kind of like, I guess, rock angst. And this was not that. This was too super um, poppy, like you can dance to them songs from the like with, with a bit more of like an 80s vibe. And they were more like in line with what you'd think of when you hear Janet Jackson type type vibe. Uh, so I think one of her first big singles was called Too Hot. Yeah. And I think what's kind of interesting is that her, the second album sold half as many uh, records as the first, and this discouraged her label and they ended up dropping her. So here she is like 17 and been dropped from her label. And I feel like that must've been like a little bit traumatizing, but she doesn't really like, we don't ever really hear about that. She just seems to like, (laughs) yeah, she just seems to like boulder on. She's like not a care in the world. And like, she's like basically like kind of like washed up already being 17 and like little does she know that her next album is going to be like what propels her to international fame. So I think it's just kind of funny, you know, whenever you have a setback in your life, just think you could be, you could, it could be just around the corner from your jaggy little pill moment. Alanis Morissette got dropped after her second album right before her jaggy little pill moment. So you know, there's, anything can happen. There's hope for all of us. So she does describe this as a relief. And I think she, the way she narrativized it, and I don't know how fair this is to the Canadian public or to the or to her Canadian audience, but she does say, you know, I had, I know that the music I wanted to make that I would have, that I made in Jaggy Little Pill just wouldn't have been received by my Canadian audience. And my Canadian audience didn't want to hear that. And she kind of says that people told her that, but also that she just knew that. So I don't really know <laughs> what is the case. I don't know how Canada would have received Jagged Little Pill. But in any event, she did She did leave uh, Toronto. She had moved to Toronto at this point, And she went and moved to L.A. Um, and this is kind of when she ended up having her real breakthrough, which, of course, is Jagged Little Pill. Um. And she was 18 at this point that she moved to LA, right? And I think she, yeah. And um she was dating. <laughs> I feel like we have to bring it up here because it just like blows my mind. She was dating um how do you say his name? Dave Cooler Coulier, who obviously everyone knows from Full House. He's Uncle Joey and it's just like so isn't this like if you had to guess which of the three 
dads or three uncle dad that she dated from Full House. Like, would you ever guess that it was Joey? I thought that John Stamos was Uncle Joey. No, he's Uncle Jesse. Uncle Jesse. Oh, pardon me. How dare I? <laughs> That's funny. Oh, I didn't know there were two uncles. Yeah, there's two uncles and then there's dad. Have you ever show. watched the show? No, I did not watch the show. Oh my God. So this doesn't really ring as in- as to be as interesting for you, but it's truly shocking because have you have never seen it? Really? Okay, so... Uncle Jesse, John Stamos is like the cool, he's kind of like musical. He's really into the Beach Boys. Even like Bob Saget has like a little bit of game. But like Uncle Joey is like a struggling comedian. He lives in the basement. He's just like, he's just not it, right? So it's very surprising that Alanis Morissette, um, you know, took so much inspiration from her relationship with him. And um, not only that, he was 15 years older than her when they dated. And so, you know, it's a little weird. Um, and I think he made, he had a kid at the time that they dated too. So, you know, listen, here at the Just Watch Me podcast, we're not a fan of of relationships that are a lot older. We always talk about them. I mean, speak for yourself, but I think but when the people are, when the, when the girls are young, you know, like she's 18, he's 15 years older. Like that's a big difference. You know, I think she was 19. So he would have been, okay. he would have been to her 19. Oh yes. That's a lot better. Um, all right. Just, just for accuracy here. But, but supposedly he did leave her for an older woman. Um, and that <laughs> to fit his defense. What? <laughs> no, not in his defense. I'm just, I'm just continuing. Okay. Did leave her for an older woman, and this inspired allegedly. You ought to know allegedly because I think she, she's admitted to this. No, I she hasn't. She's never confirmed it. And in fact, a couple of other um, men have also like apparently said that they think it's them. And have you heard his evidence of why he thinks it's him? No. It's, What's his evidence? He, he thinks it's him because apparently she called him during dinner one time and he told her that he couldn't accept the call. And there's a song like you bugged me at dinner. That's one of the lines from the song. I'm like, that seems like the weakest evidence I've ever not, heard in my life. Because not the most memorable line from the song. It's not the most memorable line from the what song. What is the most memorable line from the I song? I will not be repeating that on this podcast. Anyway, so I just think that the evidence is a little weak. So I'm, I'm not super convinced. And she said she'll never reveal who it is. So um, I'm not convinced it's him. I'm going to be honest with you. I'm sure that he inspired some songs, but I'm not as sure it's that one. Well, I'm just so glad we took the time to have this debate. Um, Jagged Little Pill <laughs> was so popular at its height. It sold nearly half a million copies in a week. Um, it In 19... 19- 96, it sold more than 10 million copies and has sold another 20 million since. Um, and this gets her on the cover of Rolling Stone, famously with the headline, Angry White Female. So that probably leads into some of the content of the album. It's, I think, just definitely described as being quite angry. It's kind of angry and sexual. And that's kind of what she meant when she said um, that Canada wouldn't have wanted this version of her, Canada wouldn't have liked this music. Um, famously, one of the lines in You Ought to Know is... Okay, here we go. <laughs> um, Skip over this if your name is Louise or Kim. It, no. It, this is, okay, but to think of like <laughs> how vulgar music is now, the fact that this was such a big deal is a little bit, I think, kind of cute to me. The, the, the crazy line is, would she go down on you in a theater? 
I'm surprised that none of these men who are saying that it's about them are citing that experience because I feel like that would be a very dude thing to do. You know? Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, Olivia has no comment. Um, so she wrote <laughs> this. Uh, so she she wrote this very soon after that big move to LA when she was 19 and living alone. She says she was very lonely and spending a lot of time rollerblading on the Santa Monica Pier. If that's a good picture for you. Um, what kind of kicked this off or, or, or part of what kicked this off was her collaboration with Glenn Ballard, who she co-wrote uh, the album with, but you know, please note the lyrics are all her except for, I think one song that he contributed to, but all these lyrics had come from her diary and Glenn Ballard would be a, a critical collaborator for the rest of her career. Um, and it's funny how when she moved to LA that she did some like songwriter blind dating and i think it's really interesting how they well how how like really songwriters and artists do this is they have little like tryouts for different people and you try songwriting with different um i guess people of different genres of different experience and you really get to try people out and see who you find a fit with so she did that and that's how she discovered him and the story of how it got made is kind of interesting they Supposedly, she and Ballard made a rough demo uh, late at night in his studio. Um, a story goes that a dozen labels passed on it, but Guy Osiri, a 23-year-old executive at Maverick, which is none other than Madonna's label, uh, signed her on the spot after hearing, you ought to know, perfect, and handed my pocket. Isn't it funny? I feel like with every like great thing, everyone's like, nobody wanted it. And I think it's like, it's funny because it seems so crazy in hindsight because this was such a huge hit. But I think it just really goes to show that you never, you never really know what's going to be a success, right? And you're always taking risk with everything you do, especially in the entertainment industry. Like it just, it doesn't make sense. There's no perfect formula. If you do certain things, it's going to blow up. So, um, it's funny though. And I think it's kind of perfect in a way that she ended up at Madonna's label, because I think when you dig into the Madonna's story of success, I see how she would have really resonated with Alanis Morissette and they would have, um, been kindred spirits with each other in sort of a way, you know? Well, she says that Madonna was actually really kind to her and, and offered her lots of support early yeah. on, um, which she kind of says was very unusual in the business. Like she thought she was going to get famous or she was going to do well and she would have all these celebrity friends. And she says famously that no celebrities wanted to hang out with her, but it sounded like Madonna did want to hang out with her. Um, I want to talk about the song ironic. Okay. Are you ready to go there? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Let's go. Um, are so, you, do you have a hot take different than none? Nothing in the song is ironic. No, the hot take is that people need to stop spending so much okay, time good. <laughs> critiquing this song because it's really annoying. And yeah, you guys I completely should have other agree. things to do. There are lots of other things you could be doing with your time. I completely agree. I'm like so over that conversation. So this song title is ironic. The song lists a bunch of quote ironies. Um, would you like to give us an example? As, I would love to give you some examples. Hmm. Um, it's an old man turned 98. He won the lottery and died next day. <laughs> It's a death row pardon, two minutes too late. And isn't it ironic, don't you think? The, the thing, entire song is supposed to be about is ironies, but it's really they're really not actual ironies. As people are really want to point out, it's more of 
a bunch of unfortunate coincidences. Um, so if you if you look up this song, there are the number of think pieces and graduate <laughs> uh, graduate papers of people who think they are really clever by pointing this out are incredible. Like people in like magazines that I read are still writing these pieces like like in recent years. It's like, embarrassing. Guys, why do we keep publishing these? Yeah. Um, and however, Alanis Morissette is, has also been the first, is always, always the first to point out that, you know, she didn't get a formal education, but also that Merriam-Webster has actually adopted this meaning of irony <laughs> because it's been overused so much, um, which most people would say that she killed irony. Not most people, lots of those annoying people want to say she killed irony. My take on this is that this is an annoying debate and I don't care and it's a great song and I really like it. That's my take. Yeah. Do we want to talk about some of the other songs on this uh, J Little Pill album? Yes. Um, of course, there's You Learn. You Live. You Learn. Yeah, that song. Um, what other ones? Hand in My Pocket. Yeah. How does that one go, Katie? I'm broke, but I'm happy. Oh, yeah. I'm poor, but I'm kind. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. I'm short, but I'm healthy. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing is that a lot of these songs are angry. They're about relationships and heartbreak and they're intense and some of them are a little bit sexual. Um, Lots has been made about like Alanis kind of coming at the right time. Like you kind of have her becoming popular right after grunge is showing up on the scene. It's kind of a little bit more of a poppy catchy sing-along version of some of the more more intense angry like musicians that are coming out at the time um in terms of her place in pop music i mean i think lots of people love to make a lot about <laughs> like people always love to like oh this woman borrowed from this woman and this woman and i don't know if all these artists were really influenced by alanis morissette but i do think that we see like pieces of alanis in artists like kesha and robin um and even like Really? Kesha? I'm surprised about that. Really? I feel like Kesha is super angry. Yeah. Yeah, I just feel like she's got, like, Even a different... Demi Lovato. Yeah, Demi Lovato I definitely see more. Um, who was I thinking of? I heard Halsey. I think that's fair. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. It's like, they music is so, like, everyone's inspired. Like... Every generation inspires the next generation, you know? And so it's like, even though it might not be identical, it's like, you know, it, it follows. It always follows, I find, with music. It's kind of hard to draw through line. Um, maybe should we talk about some of her, kind of her struggles, her personal struggles um, that are kind of coming up around this time as she's steeped in fame? Because this album, like just absolutely shoots her forward and she becomes very, very famous very, very quickly. Uh, she talks about a few different addictions um, and the, a, a really good song to learn about, to learn this about her because her musical, her music is very autobiographical um, is one of them is obviously titled the reasons I drink, which is from her latest album called such pretty forks in the road that came out in 2020. Um, she talks about, I think some of the the kind of trauma she had, um, exhaustion she had from working from such a young age. She like, she talks about herself as being addicted to work, um, and being addicted to 
and because she's been working for such a long time and also being addicted to love. Have you heard? Yeah, I have. Well, I I don't know if I had heard about it in in quite um so in a, such an official way, but I've definitely heard people talk about this concept for sure. And I mean, she does seem to be like deep into self self, you know, um, reflection and, you know, she's an artist. So I think in a lot of ways it makes sense because her relationships do also feed her creativity. So I think it goes together in a way that if you're someone who's a workaholic and your work is writing, it follows for me that you might be addicted to relationships and love and going through those emotions in in some ways but that's you know not not an official (laughs) it's just my thoughts Um, speaking of food addiction she's also struggled with a a few different eating disorders um as a young adult i think that 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 went into her 20s as well um and she really struggled with uh her i think with eating um I think she's in recovery from that, but, but she kind of talks about these addictions like all together as kind of like one problem. And, um, she's certainly somebody who talks a lot about her time in therapy and her healing. She's really into healing. She loves, Um, she loves to talk about like the brain, you know, and the feelings. Yes. Which every power to her, you know, every power to her. Um, She's also talked a lot about being taken advantage of in several ways as a young performer or in someone who entered the entertainment business at such a young age. Um, she's never that I found named anybody specifically, but she's talked about um, sexual abuse and exploitation as a very young person. Um, and as a, as a teenager, uh, and I, again, I don't know if that's in the music business or in the um, in making TV or it sounds like maybe both, but she says she talks about sexual abuse stories, plural, um, on on many occasions. Well, and she, when she was like 14, she was jetting off to Europe to film, um, a music video with her manager at the time. And apparently she had gone out clubbing with him being only 14. And so it's, you know, those were the kind of situations that she found herself in. And I think that probably continued time and time again. And I know she's, she's spoken about the music industry in particular, that she thinks that all women in the music industry experience, you know, sexual harassment to some degree, whether it's goes as far as abuse or, or not, but that every woman in the music industry will know that, that struggle. And I think that that's um, extremely concerning. And I'm surprised she hasn't said more about it, to be honest, because she is so vocal about her issues. But, um, you know, everyone deals with things in different ways. And, you know, it's possible she's not ready to to talk about it and be a spokesperson for that because it's, you know, a heavy burden to carry for sure. She actually has a song about this specifically called Hands Clean. Um, And in talking about the song, but like she's she's talking about what is obviously statutory rape, but she doesn't Like she kind of says in in the way she conceptualizes it, she doesn't see it as a crime, but she sees it kind of in the continuum of sexual exploitation and abuse that she's experienced kind of over the years. But um, hands clean is really interesting because it's, it starts from the perspective of um, the abuser, I guess, like the abuser is talking to her 
in the first verses. Anyway, I'll, I'll let you all listen to it, but it's it's a really great song. Um, and pay attention to the lyrics, because FYI, uh, this is what it's about. If it wasn't for your maturity, none of this would have happened. If you weren't so wise beyond your years, I would have been able to control myself. If it weren't for my attention, you wouldn't have been successful. And if, if it weren't for me, you would never have amounted to very much. Um, on the theme of exploitation, she also had a really unfortunate, strange situation where um, she was also exploited and taken advantage of financially for a period of seven years. Her business manager, Jonathan Schwartz, stole over $5 million from her. Uh, he confessed to doing so in April of 2017. He was sentenced to six years in prison. Um, and he had embezzled millions from a bunch of clients. He pled guilty to two counts, uh, to federal counts of two federal crimes of wire fraud and falsifying federal tax returns. And the embezzlement was only discovered after she had hired a new money manager when she felt like she wasn't getting straight answers from uh, Schwartz about her investments. It's pretty crazy, but. Um... It's funny because in more recent interviews with her, she's discussed this like financial pressure that she feels um, in taking care of her family. And after kind of finding out about this financial embezzlement that she went through, I wondered, you know, how that potentially put a strain on her. But, you know, I also don't know, like, is $5 million for Alanis Morissette a huge amount? I don't know. So I think it's interesting. I mean, obviously her music's still making a ton of money. Like there's no way it's not. It it also sounds like from what she describes it though, Liv, it's not just that he stole this money, which it sounds like he did, but he also probably was kind of a negligent advisor. Sure. Um, That's probably, yeah. She says that, you know, he would tell close associates that she was completely fiscally irresponsible, um, that she was building recording studios and buying houses against his advice, which she says is totally not true. Now, like, Alanis Morissette is a big girl, and we don't want to take away her agency, but, like, she was paying this person for advice, and it sounds like he gave her advice. I mean, advice. listen, um, she's a young, like, uh, you know, she's like a young woman with a lot of money. You know, if if I had millions of dollars when I was, like, 18 to 20. Like I wouldn't know what to do with them. Like you need a manager to depend on. Like that's absolutely what they're getting paid for. You know, like it's not, um, it's not to take away from her, but it's like, how would she know how to best, um, deal with her finances at that age? And and nor should she be expected to, like, that's what a business manager is for. Right. So, um, yeah. Um, and she says he would, you know, he would depict her as like a drug addict and like completely fiscally irresponsible. And then he would, she would go on tour he recommended and they would lose money and he would still urge her to spend. Mm. Like he would encourage her to spend. Um, I think she's, she alleges that that was like him creating an alibi from the start. Right. So that it would be easier to blame it on her un, like kind of unreasonable lifestyle. Um, but it sounds like he just, he also withdrew money directly from her account. Um, apparently he had a gambling addiction and mm. I hope that he is getting help. Well, he's in prison, so Um, the musical. Oh God. Okay. This is, I, I need to contain myself about this musical. So if, if you haven't already listened to our Avril Lavigne episode, definitely do. It's a treat. 
but Katie was there. She remembers, you know, when I talked I about, um, you know, this in drama school, when you had to do a pop song or a rock song, there's a particular style that musical theaters performers, like, I'm just going to, I'm going to go out and say it like a ruin music, like pop and rock songs, because like, that's just not like the way that musical theater performers sing is in a totally different style than the way that like pop or rock performers sing. Okay. Like everybody knows this and it's become a recent phenomena in musical theater, different, you know, West end Broadway to produce shows that are jukebox musicals, which are basically songs from pop and rock singers, either like a collection of them or just like straight, you know, ABBA, you get Mamma Mia. Right. And so I hate them. Like, I think it's a, they're terrible. I think it's a terrible idea. It doesn't you make hate all jukebox musicals. Um, you hate them all. I don't mind Mamma Mia, but Mamma Mia was also the first one. So it's a little bit it's a little bit better. It has a little bit, it's a little bit better, but I hate them all. Other than Mamma Mia, I hate them all. And the you reason- you say that Mamma Mia, Abba's, Abba's music is also like maybe more conducive to a musical? Yes, I would. I would say that. But the only reason why they really do them is because they sell, you know, like it's like a, it's a recognizable name. And you're like, when you go see like, we will rock you. For example, you're like, Oh cool. I know all the songs. I know queen. And it makes sense because like, anyway, I don't need to get into a history of musical theater, but like people used to know the songs from musicals. And now this is the only way that people can know the songs from musicals. Right. Unless you obviously like have a smash success like Hamilton and everyone knows the music from Hamilton, but that's like one in a million. So here we have like just producers who are desperate to keep making jukebox musicals. And it's like, you get some musical theater performers that are great at it, but they're just like, there's just not that many. Okay. So they end up just being bad. And the stories are always like, I'm so sorry to whoever wrote the story, but like, I haven't seen it, but I'm sure it sucks. Like, it's just like, it's going to be like, I'll tell you right now, it's like going to be this like, really angsty story that just doesn't make sense. And it's like everyone sort of dressed like how Alanis Morissette dressed in the nineties, despite the fact it's that it's not autobiographical. Though. No, that it's was the thing. no, the of story course. is apparently totally made up. Because no, she didn't want, she wanted her to do that for so long and she refused. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. But it's like you you still have to have the illusion that it fits. Like the Green Day musical. Everyone's dressed like there's Green a Day. Green Day yes, there's a Green Day musical. <laughs> it's like, no, the story's not like anything to do with them, but they're all dressed like green. So it's like the illusion that it's like you get Alanis Morissette in a show, right? Like it's all that's who, that's what they're trying to bring in, right? So that's what they have to give you. But it's everything that's wrong with musical theater. So anyway, in... Whoa. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about it. This is not, this is not offense. <sighs> so I'm really Absolutely. happy for Alanis that she's making that money because she is. Because she um, sure is. Every time they sing one of her songs, cha-ching. But um, I really just need you to watch. Um, please type into the YouTube. You learn GMA... Jagged I also Little Pill. I don't like this song. It's but annoying. this this is everything that's wrong with the jukebox musicals because it's like the most musical theater fied. Like y- you learn is a good song when Alanis Morissette sings it because it's like that got that cool vibe. It's got her voice. You know what I mean? Like it has. And if you don't like it, you don't like it. But it's it's cool because she sings it. Wait until 
Okay, they're, yes, like, they're struggling just to, it doesn't sound good. Like, it doesn't, like, I don't like the singing. Okay, but that, they're not struggling to sing the song. You just don't like how it sounds, which is my entire point. Okay, can you just skip to the interpretive dancing? I really need to just see that. (laughs) The problem also, too, is that when when 30-year-olds are trying to play teenagers, that's all, like, you know... It's it's a problem. It doesn't get easier to watch, you know? You'd think I'd be used to it by now. But I do think that, at least in TV, I feel like shows are moving to use to try and use younger actors to play teenagers. Whereas, like, we grew up with, like, One Tree Hill when they were, like, literally had children yeah. and they were being high schoolers. Okay, well, I can't listen to any more of this. Yeah, we, fair enough. Let's keep this train moving. But, um, wow. Yeah, no, I didn't like that. If, she, if She's obviously wanted to make money from this because she couldn't have thought that this was a good idea. I just, there's, I, I can't believe that. I can't believe that Alanis Morissette like truly in her heart supports this, you know, she's making that money. Um, no, we support her getting that check. Um, but we don't like it. Let's what's next? Go. <laughs> what's next is her personal life. We talked a little bit about, uh, uncle John, Joey, Joey. <laughs> I cannot believe you didn't watch full house. <laughs> Sorry. We talked about uncle John, um, in the 90s. Joey. <laughs> Who inspired you ought to know. Next Allegedly. on the roster. All right. Next on the roster is another Canadian. Drum roll, please. She dated Ryan Reynolds. It's very exciting. She met him at Drew Barrymore. First of all, Drew Barrymore's party is a, is a great place to meet your next boyfriend, I think. I thought that she didn't have any celebrity friends. Well, yeah, I don't. It doesn't know, super make sense. Nobody's. Nobody's discussion about themselves ever ends up being 100% correct but that's fine well she certainly likes to discuss herself um they met in 2002 they begin dating i don't have too much about too too much about the relationship other than they did get engaged in 2004 and in 2007 their representatives announced that the engagement had ended I don't know about the in-between. I, I, I'm dying to know. I'm so curious. I've heard a couple of quotes from her, and it seems like it was just like a positive, supportive relationship, and they were um, very in love until they weren't. And let's not forget that they broke up in 2007, and by 2008, Ryan Reynolds is married to Scarlett Johansson. So no. um, Try again. What was it? Blake Lively. No, no, no. No, 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 Katie. What? You Google it. 2008. Pardon? Ryan Reynolds was married to Scarlett Johansson. He was? Yes. Are you sure? I'm 100% sure. I can't believe that you just tried to correct me. Does Colin Jost know about this? <laughs> does Colin Jost know about this? Yes, he most certainly does. <laughs> I'm so embarrassed I didn't know. I hope they didn't get married out of Plantation. Yeah, well, uh, Ryan Reynolds and Scarlett Johansson didn't last for very long at all. Like, I want to say less than a year. It was very, like, fast and furious. She married somebody else in between Jost and Reynolds, too. Yeah. I feel like he was a musician, but I could be mistaken. Anyway, I'm not really that interested in Scarlett Johansson, but that's fascinating. Um, After Ryan Reynolds 
I think she's having her like she's she's in recovery for love addiction after a 34 failed relationships. Sorry, 54 failed relationships. It's a lot of relationships. Like who who has the energy for that? Oh, my God. Not I. I could do it. So she was I think she was feeling a little bit um, disillusioned or she was stepping back. She was in recovery for her love addiction. But her friends were kind of telling her, you know, your partner isn't just going to show up on your doorstep. You kind of have to put yourself out there. And they were wrong. Um, Her partner (laughs) did show up on her doorstep. Uh, A friend brought Soli, sorry, Mario Soli Treadway. That's that's his rapper name. Okay, but she calls him Soul. For those people who couldn't see Katie's uh, fingers, air quotes. No, but okay. It's not his middle name. That's his like that's his like nickname. All right. A friend brought Soli, Lannis calls him Soul, to her house for of course a meditation night. Mm-hmm. As you do. You know. As you do. Um and on May twenty second. Wait, have you heard the story of their first date? It's no, really cute. They went on a hike and he kissed her at the top of the hill. And she was worried because she had the fear of rolling ankles or something like that. And she had to run a marathon soon after this date. If it wasn't the next day, it was very soon after. And so he carried her down the hill. That was their first date. And apparently that's how she knew he was the one. That's very nice. That's a nice first date. I love that for them. Mm-hmm. Um, so they get married May 22nd, 2010 at a private ceremony at their Los Angeles home. They have three children, a son born in 2010, a daughter born in 2016, and another son born in 2019. And do you know what her kids' names are? I would like you to say them because I don't feel comfortable. <laughs> Onyx, like the stone, mm-hmm. Winter, and Ever. I hate them. I hate their names. I know you do. She's been very open about her like near decade long experience with postpartum symptoms. She calls it postpartum stuff or experience because um, she's experienced. She she kind of says she had mostly postpartum depression after her first two children, and then after her third child, it was mostly postpartum anxiety. Um, but she's had postpartum like mental health uh, challenges after uh, each child, um, and. Can we talk about the unschooling? Yes, I would love to. I would love to talk about it. She, she is unschooling her kids, which according to the internet is a form of homeschooling, which is the education of children at home or other places rather than a school teaching children. Um, sorry about that. I thought I had my notifications off my computer. Teaching children based on their interests rather than a set curriculum. It includes continued uh, continued education throughout your life, physical, spatial intelligence, and natural intelligence gardening. Have you heard her say the phrase natural intelligence gardening? No, I have not. As I have. No, I have not. Um, she uses it a lot. Um, there is no homework. This seems very on brand for her and her mm-hmm. personality. Um, she's like a very spiritual person. I, I, and I kind of do love this fact about her because she talks a lot about people's energies. She talks about being an HSP, a highly sensitive person. She identifies as an empath, as somebody who is intuitive. Um, She briefly had an advice column for The Guardian. Um, I read some of it. It's 
definitely interesting. She's lived, she's got like such a storied past, you know, she definitely yeah. has some interesting takes. It, it didn't last very long. I don't know why it ended, but I she's would also love to. busy. Like she's so busy. She is busy. She's still making music. She had another album out in 2020 um, that I've, I've already mentioned called Such Pretty Forks in the Road. Yeah, and we didn't get into it too much, but she um, did has continued to do a lot of acting. And she's currently on a show called The Great North. So as a it's an animated show, so she's doing voice work. But she has, you know, been in like she's she was on Weeds. She was on Sex in the City. She was on, you know, a lot of different shows. And movies. And people seem to think she's, she's a there. fairly good actor. So you can find her. She's still she's still in the culture. She's still making entertainment. Um, and I'm glad for it. I also have to say that, like, her look of the, like, long, uh, straight brown hair is so iconic to her. I find it, like, a little bit jarring when she has a different haircut. <laughs> I'm like, that's just not she the Atlantis short, I know. Really short hair for a while. Yeah, and the bangs. I think she looks great. I mean, she looks great. She's obviously doing everything right. She seems to be very at peace with in her life, despite her um, struggles with anxiety and depression and things like that. She seems to be like very centered, and she seems also very down to earth when you speak to her. And um, although she obviously has gone through a lot of struggle for someone who was a child star she seems to be like very very down to earth and very has herself um together in a way that i think a lot of people uh who had been through her experiences might might not have come out the other side quite as rounded as she yeah yeah for sure any other final thoughts about alanis i don't think so one second i mean you ought to know right i was just waiting for that you know just waiting. Oh, also, well, can I just say that if I hear one more, like, person say, she won Junos, which is the Canadian equivalent of Grammys. That just really pissed me off. Like, the Juno, let's be honest with ourselves, Canada, is not the equivalent of a Grammy. Like, it's it's not. Well, I think the Canadian part qualifies it and undercuts it sufficiently, don't you? <laughs> Perhaps. I hope that you all go home and listen to Jagged Little Pill. I hope you listen to it. Actually, I hope you listen to it in your car. I think that's where it should be listened to. I, that's my plan. You listen to it with your girlfriends. I had fun with this one. I'm, I'm actually going to listen to music after this. Like I more than ever need to get familiar with it again. But you know what? I not won't be listening to the musical re- soundtrack. <laughs> Good one. All right. Thanks. See you next week. If you want to keep up with us in between episodes, you can follow us at Just Watch Me Pod on Instagram and Twitter. Send us your thoughts and feelings about the show at JustWatchMePodcast at gmail.com. And it really helps us if you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Thanks. See you next week. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co.